All right, what's up, guys? This is Ethan Carlson, and you're listening to Inside Position. Sacrifices. You got to make sacrifices with your team. To answer your question. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Inside Position with me, Tom Halpin. Today's guest is one of Canada's top grapplers, Ethan Krellison. It was great to chat to Ethan about how teaching and training has been going in the B-Team Academy in Austin, Texas, how he's dealt with some tough injuries in his career and how he recovered from them and bounced back better, and also got to hear some great stories about the many competitions and super fights that he's done so far in his career. As usual, if you enjoy the podcast, it really helps if you can share it with your friends and subscribe to avoid missing any future episodes. So here we go with another episode of Inside Position with Ethan Krellinson. Hey Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. On Tom, Tom Halpin. <laughs> Starting off, I was wondering how training is going at the B team and how the recent move and everything has been. Man, it's awesome. This is uh, of all you know, all the competitive athletes out there, jiu-jitsu athletes. I'm sure they sort of cycle through like uh, places they go for training camps. You know, you might have like your home hometown gym and you're set up there, and then you go wherever else you train around. So, like for me, the uh, the different setups I've had, you know, Montreal, New York city, Jersey, Puerto Rico, and, uh, finally Austin. This is definitely my favorite one of, uh, of all of them. They all had their pros and cons, uh, some more pros, some more cons than others, but this has been, uh, my favorite so far for sure, for sure. Yeah. It's nice. a good setup. Are you structuring your own training there? Does everyone have a bit of input or how does it work? Yeah, so there's the four main guys, four of us. So me, Nikki Ryan, Nikki Rod, and Craig Jones. And we split up teaching classes as well as uh, Isaac Michelle, uh, Damien Anderson, and Nick Ortiz. So the, the seven of us split up teaching uh, classes three Monday to Friday and then one on Saturday. And I think Open Mat now on Sunday should be, should be coming around. And, uh, and yeah, we just, we structured ourselves. So like whatever I'm working on or whatever I'm sort of like passionate about at that time, whatever I want to excel at or, or whatever rule set is requiring me to, you know, get good at or sharpen up a certain skill. That's going to be likely what I'm going to be teaching. Um, and like whatever everyone else needs. So like, I have things I could help Nikki Rod with, uh, things Craig can help other people with like we're trying to sort of like troubleshoot different things uh share our strengths and cover up our weaknesses uh among the seven of us and uh it's great man we got a good group of guys so like the no white belt rule has been a really (laughs) it's honestly it's it's really good because we're not looking for like you know the day one like self-defense like it's it's not the right place it's not good for them and it's not good for us like we're trying to Obviously, the room is very busy and it's already like pretty full uh, capacity wise, but we're not trying to have guys like that are, you know, it's their first day and they're, they don't know what's going on. Like that's just, it's sort of going to take up space and uh, it's not good for the other members of the gym as well. Like they're also looking for competent training partners um, and uh, so are we. So it's, it's good in that sense. The room's really tough and it's getting tougher and uh, we have good, good structure going on going forward. I think I heard Nikki Rod saying something like we're trying to make good people great. And I was like, man, that is, I'm jealous. Like that is the perfect structure and idea to have for a gym. Athlete uh, utopia, (laughs) jujitsu athlete utopia, man. That's it. That's the best room you could possibly have. And would you have much disagreement between you? Like having, let's say six, seven people who probably you're all stubborn. I'd say if you're high level athletes, 
great, man. It's great. I love the guys. They're, we're all yeah. getting along. It's such a cool dynamic. Yeah, there's no zero issues. I can't imagine there being any down the line. It's super easy. Yeah, super, super easy. Everyone's on the same page. Everyone's knows what they want and knows what everyone wants. And it's just super easy. And it seems interesting as well, the the times you have the class on. It seems like it's very early and then there's not as much yeah. going on later in the day. Or what way, like what reasoning is there behind that? 8 a.m., 12, and then uh, 7 p.m. every Monday to Friday and then uh, 10 a.m. Saturday. Okay, so it's more normal than I thought. It's pretty, pretty stretched out. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. that for the different, you know, like people, some people have work or what have you during the day and can't make it until mm-hmm. 7 p.m., so leaving like the dds and starting your own place is there like what things did you take from let's say the previous training environment and the structure and everything and maybe what new things have you added in that you felt like were missing yeah so i think um the structure i we learned a lot from you know how to run classes and i mean it's it's not so different than how any other gyms run practice it's just about like what techniques you're showing that might be different so it's you know usual we'll start off with technique to warm up then start situation and then start open training more or less the same structure it's just i think it's just a little bit more uh dynamic in the in the throughout the entire process of class so like if we if we'll start off on a technique like let's say i'll be teaching a class like there might be uh, like if the main guys come in and like they're drilling, like we will brainstorm sort of in a, a part of the mat and then other mm-hmm. people might jump in and then like, I'll, I'll say, okay, guys, bring it in. We're going to go over like a little side thing. And like, it's really sort of like uh, like laboratory of, you know, trial and error. And, yeah. And then uh, the situation is also going to be like more tailored towards what we're doing. So like, if I do a lot of back submissions, I'm going to say like, let's do a few, a few uh, back overtime rounds or, or, um, if I'm working on taking the back from turtle, we're going to do more turtle rounds or escaping the back from turtle. We're going to do more turtle rounds. So it goes both ways in that sense. And uh, yeah, just a bit more like freedom of how we feel like is, you know, the best way to improve in aspects that we're trying to improve in. Would you be missing the old crew ever or having the old big group together or anything like that? Miss some of the guys, um, you know, it's, I think it was for the best and yeah, split as amicably as we could, but for sure, you know, we just saw, because you spend so much time together, like every day training two, three times a day. It's a big difference for sure. I, I didn't anticipate that happening until it was like time for it to happen. And then uh, even still, it was like, oh, shit, is this really is this really going to happen? And then it, it went through and I was like, all right, it's definitely for the better. And the more it sort of went on, the more it seemed like it was the right right thing to do. And uh, I'm, yeah, we're all super happy here in Austin with our with our setup and the situation. Yeah. It's just the way things go, isn't it? Like it, it has to get bigger because everyone wants it to get bigger. And then when it gets bigger, it has to break off in all the different directions, I suppose. It's just the way it is. Like It's the way it is. It's just, yeah, there's no, uh, there's no other way it could have happened, I think. And out of the last few years training there and stuff, what would be one of the biggest things? Now, there's probably a million things, but what would be one big takeaway that you had from training with Danaher and stuff that maybe would be counterintuitive or that other people wouldn't necessarily know about maybe? Let's see. Um, the biggest takeaway I think is just, it's hard to put it into like one thing, like, um, everyone sort of underestimates or overestimates what they can do in one year, but underestimates what they could do in five years. I think that is a big, a big takeaway from my 
five or so years training with all those guys. Uh, like it would be frustrating, you know, like the, the months would turn to years and you're still like not where you want to be. But then like, if you look where you were five years from the point where you start questioning that, uh, you'll see you come a long way if you're consistent and you're not tearing apart your knees and every, you know, all that shit, but <laughs> touch wood, it's good, man. Consistency and discipline I'd say is like a big thing for all of us. And that's the big thing we're, we're sort of hammering away at, uh, back at Henzo's in Puerto Rico. And going back to when you started the training, did you start training in TriStar or did you go there later? Started at TriStar, started at uh, TriStar with Faras and, and all the guys up there. And um, would you talk to him much or get uh, like much advice from him still? Or we don't talk as much. He's super busy up at TriStar. When I'm there, you know, we're chatting as catching up as much as possible. You know, on the mats like that. You know, and you you train and then you talk after after training in the circle. Like that's when we really catch up. Like that's what makes me miss Montreal. Like seeing everyone catching up with everyone but yeah it's it's tough like we're, we're on different schedules we're in different worlds you know it's it's a different uh yeah completely different. it's tough and would you still train there if you ever visit home or anything yeah for sure i'm always it's, i wish i could make routine trips back to montreal like every weekend it would be it'd be so awesome when you started off training you're going up through blue purple belt all the ranks when did you start to think of oh i can actually be one of the best competitors in the world. Was there some breakthrough win you had or breakthrough moments or anything? Yeah, there was a couple breakthrough moments. There was one, uh, the first sub only tournament I did this finishers 135. That was like the first cash, decent cash prize I ever won. That was the first time I was like, oh, I could kind of like do this and make some money off it, you know, at least to support myself and figure things out. And then uh, when I won trials, West Coast trials, uh, then I was like, oh, sh-. like, cause I, I didn't know what to expect. ADCC trials, like I see all these killers in ADCC. I'm like, okay, it's going to be tough. But I was, I just surprised myself. I didn't think I was going to win and, and I won. And I was like, all right, ADCC, let's, let's see what happens. And how was and, the first ADCC? It was, it was awesome, Matt. Were you in Finland? I wasn't, I wasn't. But that was really the best, like, that was one of the best ADCCs, I think, of all time, really, in terms of... It was like the new era. It was the beginning of the new era one, yeah. The real new era was the California. That was like the the mark of the real, like the flow grappling explosion, at least for ADCC. I don't know, maybe from my perspective. But yeah, Finland was the clear turning point in like the mainstreamness of, of jiu-jitsu. And uh, ah, it was so sick, man. I wish I, I wish I like went further on. Uh, fucking AJ stopped me that, that guy, <laughs> goddamn. That was the one you had about a hundred submission attempts on him, I think. It was like highlights of the match. I was like, was this all in the same fucking match? Oh man, yeah, I wish I could redo that match. That's That sucks. But um, no, it was great. It was such a fun experience. It was like, I didn't have to cut weight at all. I was like walking around 142 or something. So it was, it was, it was awesome. It was really fun. And did you train, change your training or anything after that then? Like what kind of lessons did you take away from it? Yeah, much more wrestling since then. Uh, much more guard passing. Like I'll, I'll rewatch my matches from that tournament and from that year. And I'm just like, oh God, I had like no guard passing. And like, I just didn't know. I just look at it like, I don't know what I'm doing still. And um, so much more top game advancements since, since then. And then winning the second trials then? You probably went from being underdog before to be in one of the favorites this time like how did you manage like was there pressure with that you know it was weird it's like tournaments i always don't feel pressure super fights i feel pressure but tournaments i kind of kind of just blend in and like you hear the sounds and 
sometimes I don't, I feel like I don't compete well, but for the most part, I feel like I'm more comfortable, uh, competing in tournament styles, style events. Um, it's just kind of like you blend in. That's what I've, what I've felt. Even if you're, if you're relative favorite, like you step on the mats and you're like, you could sort of feel like the eyes collect onto your match, but it's fine. It's, it didn't feel too, too intense as the finals sort of come together, the brackets, you know, make their way up. Uh, it gets more and more intense, but then you're already like two, three, four or five matches in. So you're, the nerves are gone. You had your adrenaline dump and you're back in it and coasting. The thing I'm always trying to avoid is thinking I want to win. Like I always fuck it up when I start thinking I want to win or I hope I win yeah. or I need to win. That's when I fuck it up instead of just like go there, do my move. And then the next move will come naturally and the move after that will come naturally. Yeah. So how is it yeah. different then with the super fights? how is the mindset different and how do you manage if there is any pressure like think the most pressure super fights you've had how did you try and calm the mind down and have a good performance yeah i think the best way to do it is just it's like the first match of a of a tournament the first match is always the weirdest like it's the most sort of the messiest it's the one where you're most likely to gas out i'd say it's the one where you're most likely to maybe get injured um but it's not the toughest opponent. So that's all, like, ideally you're going to be seated higher. So it's, that means it's not going to be, it's likely going to be your least toughest opponent. Um, the difference with a super fight is it's your first match and it's usually a tough opponent. So you're, you know, you're, but you're both in the same boat. So it's like, it evens out in, in that sense. It's just about who deals with that first match better. So something I would advise your know, competitors out there and I'd, I should take this advice myself also. It's hard to sort of absorb it, but just treat it like it's a intense ego filled match at the gym. Like you don't yeah. want to, you don't want to give an inch, but you don't want to like latch onto something that isn't there. And you don't want to like, you know, hold your breath and stiffen up and then end up gassed out in like, you know, two and a half minutes. If you can enjoy it, that is the ultimate. If you can love fact that you're there and you could remember you know why you started training in the first place and just feed off the pressure instead of uh letting it get into your head but that's part of the skill it's funny seeing people who are so good in training and then they just melt in the competition and it's kind of confusing almost if you can just compete to the best of your ability that's all you can hope for like and then after winning the second adcc trials you missed the second ADCC. You were yeah, supposed to do, didn't you? I tore my MCL on my on my right knee. Uh, Full tear. A grade two, grade two tear. Okay, it, but that's still it sucked. Yeah, I couldn't, and it was exactly two months to to the day, two months before uh, uh, ADCC. Yeah, so there was no way. Yeah, I tried training like uh, one month after, and it was just there yeah. was just zero chance. And was it tough? Like, do you think? you would have pulled out if that was your first ADCC. I think I, yeah, no matter what, no matter what that was. That's I tough. just, cause I remember hearing about that. Actually, it was in the training camp I was doing. There was for, for some reason that ADCC people were dropping like flies from yeah. all the different divisions. It was so it's many gonna injuries. It's going to happen yeah. every, every time. And I remember saying to my friends, like, this is ridiculous. Like you can't get injured, like better go undertrained than overtrained. And like, this was just my point of view, but everyone disagreed with me. Everyone disagreed. They were all like, you have to train hard. You have to risk it. You have to go hard as fuck. You do have to train hard, but you could train intelligently. Like you mm. look like pro athletes, pro fighters, like they don't, they don't not train, but it's, it's definitely better to not train 
if you're like it's it's just about predicting how fucked up your body is like from the last session or if you're if you're nursing an injury like how close is that injury to getting catastrophically worse you know and uh and that just everything compounds if you're cutting weight like you're just your body is just hanging on by a thread when you're cutting weight i hated that yeah i tore my mcl i obviously i can't know for sure but i think in in large part because i was cutting to uh 135 for a for a kasai event uh that was two months before that okay 135 135 yeah at the time it wasn't much i was walking around 140 pounds but like that's the juvenile division yeah i know that's the <laughs> year old 10 year old child division that was stupid in hindsight definitely regret agreeing to that that tournament even though kasai is great i love it i i hope they come back i just the the timing was very bad but sometimes that's it like the lessons you learn sometimes you have to pay a big kind of price to learn them and that's it that's seems fine point. until afterwards you're like yeah. fuck i should not have done i know that. why the hell why the hell did i do that yeah that's... how were you feeling then when you actually had to pull out and you're like fuck i have to wait another two years um, you know like how it's terrible how, how are the owl emotions then they're terrible ter- oh man that was like i'd find that's very tough now yeah yeah like i remember i tore i tore the mcl and uh i'm like all right well i'm not i was in new york i'm like all right i'm not fucking staying in new york you know do, what am i doing I, i'm going yeah. back going back home and to heal this thing and uh it just sucked man i just like you see and it was right it was two months before adcc so all the media is like hyping it up so this is going to be thing in the world blah 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 and you're just there like man fuck this shit just like hated instagram hated jujitsu so i was like fuck i'm just it was all right though it's the same thing that's happening now i'm like exploring other shit in life right just seeing seeing the world instead of living in the gym which is nice and from like the time with injuries and stuff what kind of stuff did you find out about yourself or other interests or other how did you feel the time and be happy i i got really into uh so there was, uh, I spent a lot of time teaching once I, once I could sort of demonstrate moves properly. And I just, I would just like, it was the summer. So I would just bike around Montreal once I could bike and just explore, man, just spend as much time as I could outside doing shit as far away from the gym as possible. Uh, doing my rehab, my physiotherapy, like religiously cooking and shit, just like learning <laughs> other shit, man. Yeah. Learning stuff you no, you never normally like. You're just like obsessed with. You're just like watching tape and like ordering food or going to train or sleeping because you're exhausted or flying to a tournament or cutting weight for a tournament. You're just miserable. So it was it was nice to switch it up. Yeah, that's the thing. Because sometimes I think, oh, if I wasn't doing jiu-jitsu or if I was injured or something, touch wood, I would be miserable. But then at the same time, I'm like, actually, I have loads of other interests or potential interests. But like, even if I'm only training once a day, I'm like wait for the training you know it's it's good to like be excited to train and not just like make it like your job and and uh when i do get back to like full-on training i'm not gonna be as like religious about it. i want to do other shit as well i i think it's gonna help my progress i think your your brain needs to do other things as well especially when you're younger the grind is kind of a bit not easier but it just it suits more like you don't get injured as much and you 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 soak it in more and you're more okay with ignoring the world oh i could have slept in a bush as long as i got to train twice a day and i'd be so happy i mean i was living in like with 
people in essentially frat houses for <laughs> forever. Like as soon as I left Montreal, it was just it was living with a group of people, and I didn't give a shit. We cared everything, and I didn't care. And then suddenly, I'm like, like I left Puerto Rico, and I'm like, I'm sick of this shit. I started to like resent training in Puerto Rico. I was like, I fucking hate this. I want to <laughs> have my own shit. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to. I just I started to resent it. Yeah. So. More from Ethan in a moment. I just wanted to give a quick mention to a recent Patreon site that I started where each week I'm sharing in-depth videos about my best positions, submissions, and trying to share all the experience and ideas that I've gathered throughout the years of training and competing at the highest levels. If it's something you're interested in checking out, I'll put a link in the description and I'm sure that I can help everyone take their jiu-jitsu to the next level. But for now, let's get back to the conversation with Ethan Crenison. How do you choose what to put your time into in training? Because I feel like this is one of the biggest, not problems, but one of the things that what do I commit basically three months as my primary or like focus towards? How do you decide where to put your time into in training? Okay, the interesting thing about so specifically, obviously, we care the most about ADCC. That's like the biggest thing for us to like, if I want to win one thing, it's ADCC. And I'm sure you and a lot of other people So like the interesting thing about ADCC is the weight classes are so fucking big. 10 kilos is a massive, massive weight class. So like the styles and the skill priority uh, is different as you go up in the weight. So like wrestling is important throughout, but it becomes more and more important the higher you go in the weight classes. Guards, guard ability, guard play or whatever is important and it also kind of like changes as you go up in the weight classes like the bigger guys all for for the most part they all have they all have good guards i'm not saying like i or anyone could pass their guard but like big guys versus other big guys considering they're the same skill level are gonna have a harder time playing guard it's just they're less flexible that's they're harder to move that's less explosive which is their you know and they're carrying someone else who's as big as them, which is harder. You and I are like 155 or whatever. We can hold each other up forever, right? We, it's not hard. But a big guy, a guy two, 245, can't really hold up another guy 245 forever. So like their guards are going to be less effective against each other. So they're more, they're more interested in wrestling and getting on top and putting their weight on the guy. Versus our, our weight class, you go all the way down the other end of the spectrum – uh, wrestling's obviously still important, but you can survive playing guard. You can pull guard and, and do fine. People have done that last ADCC. At 56, there's a lot of guard players. And that kind of like meets in the middle at 77, you know, where it's like guard and wrestling are kind of like closer. Uh, I guess wrestling is probably more important, but anyway, that's another discussion. Um, so to circle back to answer your question, like the most important thing for you is probably going to depend on what you're going to compete in. If it's ADCC, which is what I'm going to assume the most people listening to this podcast are looking to compete in, it depends on how big you are and it depends on what you're good at and what you're bad at. One thing that's also extremely important to keep in mind is like do shit that you like doing. Like if you you started doing jujitsu because you wanted to win ADCC, it doesn't really make sense. Usually you start jujitsu because you stumbled into a gym or someone kicked your ass and you thought it was fun and you started learning and then then discovered competing and then discovered ADCC. So it's like you only started doing it because you like it, not because you want to win something. So 
Uh, I think that's going to be the biggest driving force in what makes you better at things if you like doing the thing. So me right now, my favorite thing is guard passing. I love guard passing. It's like a, the I obviously we're all passionate about jiu-jitsu, but within jiu-jitsu, I love shredding a guard side to side going through and then like sinking in a really good pin. Like that's just what I love doing right now. I'm going to do it, but at the same time, I know, you know, obviously take putting my knee injury aside. Um, I know that other things are what I really need to work on competitively. So there's going to be a balance in my training between doing what I love doing and doing what I need to get good at to then love doing and then get even better. There's like a breakthrough period. So like, I think you have to be responsible in doing things that if you're going to compete, you have to be responsible in doing the things that you may not love doing, but that you have to, that you like, we know there's some things that we have to do that we're like, oh, fuck. All right. I'll, I have to practice this. I have to get better. Even though we don't want to do it. Like I want to go in there and just guard pass for an entire day, for an entire month. Um, but I know that there's other things I need to do to that I have to do in order to win big shit, which is the ultimate goal for me and for many others. Just you want to win shit, man. That's what it's all about. That's like me with the wrestling. Like I used to not, not that I didn't like doing the wrestling, but I felt like I was, I might get injured and it was tough going and everyone's bigger than me. But then I just gave myself the rule, warm up and cool down with wrestling every day. Now I love doing the wrestling. Now I do double warm up, double cool down. It's the same thing with me. Like I, I sort of like was dreading it and I would keep like poking at it and, and then going back to like, I would compete in this. So it made sense for me to pull guard and play guard. Uh, but I would keep sort of edging into it in, you know, step by step. And before the knee injury, I was really wrestling a lot. I was really, really looking forward to uh, getting back out there and, and demonstrating that. But uh, you know, the, the last thing to come back after a, a lower body injury is is standing up grappling. So that's going to be a while. But when I notice you competing as well, I see a lot of almost intuition or something. Like there's a lot of natural things that you're doing. Yeah. Mo moving very quickly. Like let's say compare someone who moves a lot very quickly to someone like Braulio who kind of does a bit, stops, thinks, does something, does something weird, you know, waits. It's more like I notice your style is much more intuitive and mine used to be very intuitive and i would try then i was kind of over trying think too much and add these specific things and it nearly yeah. made me worse for a bit i had to go back to using the more intuitive styles how do you find balancing like kind of knowing what the right thing is to do or the right thing to work on but still wanting to go your own way as well as you get into deep scrambles with good training partners you start to you you first do something intuitively and then you start to acknowledge what you're doing. And then if you can really break it down, you can start to acknowledge what can go wrong. And then you can have follow-ups and that can branch out from there. And then you get that core aspect of it becomes even stronger because then when you try and do that and he does this, you have an answer. And he does this, you have an answer. He does this, you have an answer. So I guess to, to answer that, I'd say like you have to, you, well, you have to be creative. You have to kind of improvise because otherwise you're, you're going to end up kind of like flustered if it doesn't go exactly one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, you have to be ready to improvise and stay loose and, uh, and just open up a little bit to create opportunities to get into things that you, you know about. So you have to sort of create movement and trust in your defense and trust in your counters and your ability to sort of, uh, operate an autopilot. And yeah, don't, don't be so concerned with the structure of your movements. You know, if you're really like, 
if you're really secured and you feel like super confident in this one spot and you're like, oh, this guy can't defend this position, then yeah, take it step by step because you know this blueprint. Like clearly he hasn't seen this uh, this sequence and you hold him there and you keep him in a spot where he's not comfortable. That's kind of what I like about Nogi as well is it seems like it's more counter versus counter versus counter versus counter, whereas the Gi yeah. is more like you get someone just deep in your game and just murk them. It's It's more movement for sure. There's more... The gi, there's more, obviously there's, it's more intricate in the sense there's more grips that can happen and there's more things you can do like worm guard, lasso, all, all that crap. But the difference is in no gi, there's so many more things that will happen throughout a match because neither person can sink down a position for like in seven seconds, a lot is going to happen in a no gi match compared to seven seconds in a gi match. So <laughs> I think it like kind of evens out in that regard. Like in the, in the seconds of a match, much more is going to happen in a in a nogi match for the most part. Yeah, and then in terms of innovation and stuff, like that seems one of the things that Yi have been best at the last few years. The the DDS and now the B team. Is there any specific process, or is it just a case of having a lot of good people in the same room? And because it is important to stay ahead of the curve a little bit, so that gives you a big advantage, like for competition. For sure. So we're not like neglecting. So like there was a the whole leg lock era where that was like the cutting edge. Like you could go into a tournament, heel hook everyone with the same thing and no one would really know what you did. That's clearly over. That's in the past. So now there's like other things that are popping up, but it's still it's <clears throat> it's much more, I think, like combining wrestling with uh with jujitsu. I'd say that's the cutting edge of the sport. It's funny how back takes are always the go to. The back takes are a in theme no matter what leg locks to back tape i feel like in the future like if you think of wrestling where in wrestling everyone knows all the main moves and they're established and that's it, it's just the way too, it is. get to the back it's a, it's a threat to get to their back i feel like in 10 years time 20 years time it's going to be who can take who's back basically it's pretty it's turning into that it's turning into that it's standing in front of the guy and trying to take their back by whatever means you can Full guard and try and take their back you can wrestle them down and try and take their back but like most exchanges most points happen in jiu-jitsu in, in ADCC because of something to do with the back take. You either you either take them down and they don't want to get taken down so they turtle and you take their back. Potentially you can't take their back so they pull guard and then you score on them. So it's all like gets close to taking the back and then you end up with some sort of score, either the back or a takedown or a guard pass or any new students I have or beginners or blue belts, purple belts, whatever, I always make them be black belts on the back first because i feel like in three to six months you can be very good at back attacks some basic hand fighting good hip rotation good expense like there's some some basics on the back that'll make you really good really fast i totally agree totally and like compared to heel hooks as well i feel like if you defend from some of the heel hook in positions good defense will beat a good attack but on the back even when you defend perfectly you still have sequences where you can still yeah get them like if they're defending properly you know will cascade like defenses can cascade into other offensive offense super super smoothly and it's uh a guy who's really good at constantly kind of shoving his limbs in there prying them apart getting hands over like, it's it's so hard it's like a storm of limbs sort of coming down on you i'm actually this is the first uh fanatics dvd i'm going to release is going to be uh back attacks so that's gonna be filming that uh weekend so you're dealing with the ACL recovery now. How was the process of getting the surgery? And like, if I understand right, you were injured for a while and holding it off. And so how did the whole process go and, and the rehab and everything? It was so, I don't know, again, I don't know exactly when I tore my ACL, but it was 
between four and five years ago or something, something like that, according to the MRI and the surgeons. So that ACL tear, which I didn't even know I had led to meniscus tears. So meniscus, my meniscus would tear a little bit and then heal and tear and heal. So that kind of like was just a nagging injury throughout like four years of, of my life. And, um, then finally it, uh, right before the who's number one championship, it, uh, kind of like tore pretty, pretty painfully. And, uh, um, I just, I couldn't really walk for like a few days. So I was like, all right, I got to get this, get this looked at and, uh, got all the news. And they said, you pretty, you need a new, AC, new ACL. So I got a, uh, a quad tendon ACL replacement. So they took a piece of my quad tendon, used that for an ACL. It's a gnarly scar. Uh, my quad still, you know, I've been obviously like, uh, working a, a a lot of physio. Um, I haven't heard of the quad tendon one actually. I've heard like hamstring and patella. Yeah, hamstring and patella is the the common one, but like the quad apparently is the new new school of okay. thought. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, leading the trend with that. So hopefully, hopefully it's good. And how is it getting back into the drilling and a bit of training? And how did it affect your your mindset and being sketched out and stuff? I'm I'm sketched out. I'm fucking sketched. <laughs> I, I hate it to be honest. It's terrible. But I'm for so I, uh, February twentieth. I'll be five months post surgery. Uh, my surgeon specifically. I know he'll he'll definitely never hear this, but if he, <laughs> if he did, he'd kill me. Uh, he specifically told me not to train during these weeks, and I'm doing exactly that. But I feel like it's safe, and I'm doing it in a safe way, as safe as I possibly can. And uh, I think it's all right. It's just my quad is still like a physical piece of the tendon was taken. The tendon doesn't grow back to its size, but it does grow back to its strength. Okay. Uh, and the muscle, same thing, doesn't necessarily grow back to its size, but it, it does grow back to its strength. So my legs already being pretty skinny. Uh, my left one's going to be skinnier, but it'll still be strong, especially with the amount of physio I'm doing. Oh yeah, you know, I just gotta wait it out. And five five months down the road, it's it's very hopeful. Um, the meniscus kind of hurts here and there, but like nothing like before. Like before the surgery, I would have to take time off. Yeah, it would click and pop, and it would just suck. Now nowadays, you see people bounce back from it, and they're better. You know, like Conor McGregor. You have lots of friends. I think Oliver Taza tore his ACL before. Yeah, yeah they all yeah. came back better. So that's a good precedent. You know. And did opening the school help to have something that you, like you kind of have skin in the game with it? It's uh, it's another responsibility. Like I feel like I miss teaching a lot because if you're just being an athlete and then you can't do athleting, you're fucked. You know? Yeah, you're fucked. It's depressing too. It yeah, sucks. it is. That's the thing. Teaching is the best. I I've uh, you know, and I just got back here. It was like a little awkward to get back into it, but like uh, uh, getting used to it at this point. Like I love I love teaching now. It's it's fun. It's, it's just fun. You drill what you're confident in doing. You ask, you answer questions. Um, and, uh, when like the main guys are there, like we help each other with stuff. We're like, what about this reaction? What about that reaction? And, uh, it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Nice. And is there any big future goals coming up that you have in mind? I want to compete and win. I just want to get, I want to get that first match back and I want to, I want to compete and win. I want like whoever is out there, whoever is my first match, I want to beat you. Whoever's listening to this, if they are, I want to fucking win and commit <laughs> that guy and, uh, and not be in pain. I want to be strong. I want to get back. 
to my invincibility, quote unquote. Oh, it's going to be good. Well, best of luck with that now and looking forward to seeing you back on the scene soon. Big thanks to Ethan for coming on the show. It was really interesting to hear how he dealt with the different times being injured and some of the discoveries that he made in life. It was also great to hear about the setup and how they're structuring their training at the B team. And it seems like a great environment to develop some high level grapplers in the near future. Just before we go, a quick reminder as well, check out my Patreon site. I really appreciate all the support I'm getting there from everyone. And there's been some great feedback on it so far. So if you're looking to take your jiu-jitsu to the next level, I'll be sharing weekly videos there and there's absolutely no fluff. It's all the best moves, all the best submissions and ideas and some very unique stuff as well that you won't find anywhere else. So check that out and let me know how you're getting on with it. And I'm looking forward to help everyone improve their game on the mats. As usual, don't forget to share and subscribe to the podcast. And we'll be back next week for another great episode. So until then, Slánagas Bánacht.